Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Uh, everybody else, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And um, we're going to look at uh, verses 3 to 5. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open that app and find our live event. Track along with the scriptures and sermon notes. And um, if you want a Bible that you can open and put in your lap that's not digital, we have the analog version back there on the side of the tech booth. Feel free to go grab one of those and uh, open it there. Uh, you walk into my garage. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You walk into my garage, maybe your garage too. Um, at least in my garage, it's a pegboard. You've got a pegboard wall and there is hanging hammers and screwdrivers and drills and this and that and who knows what else. Uh, and so you walk in, you kind of look at it like, okay, well, for this particular job, this is what I need. Um, that's kind of the picture that we've been working with during this time. Uh, this, this series is about the tools that God uses uh, to shape us. Um, and, and so, if you will, we have been kind of walking into his garage, looking at his pegboard to say, okay, God, what are the things that you have at your disposal that you are inclined to use to make us who you want us to be? And so we've tried to uh, boil it down to these little um, kind of I mean, they're, we didn't design them to be tweetable, but they, that's the idea. They're short little pithy sayings so that everybody kind of tracks along and says, I understand that this is one of the tools that God uses. So we've tracked with three so far. We'll introduce the fourth one today. The first one is, is that transformation begins with consecration. I, on a daily basis, offer my life to God so that he will do the things that he wants to do in me, and he will do the things that he wants to do uh, through me. And so Romans chapter 12 talks about how we um, offer our lives as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Or in the words of Jesus, I take up my cross daily and follow him. Uh, and then the next week, we talked about taking the risk and obeying, because there will be times when God says to you and to me, I want you to do this. And our um, kind of normal, um, even immediate response will be, whoa, that looks kind of crazy. I don't think I want any part of that. And God will say, I want you to obey. And so we step out and obey. And because we step out and obey, not only are we shaped, but the impact, um, it, the, the uh, ripples, if you will, of our lives, are, uh, th they go very, very far. Last week, we talked about how serving shapes us. And um, just, you know, 30-second commercial, still back there by the balloons, there are opportunities for you to step in and serve within the organization, the umbrella of our church family. We want you serving here, but also outside because there are neighbors and friends and coworkers and everybody else in your world who needs you to, to do that. And when we serve, we not only are like Jesus, I mean, physically doing the things that he did, but also spiritually, Jesus uses these things to shape us. And today, uh, as I mentioned earlier, suffering is a spiritual vitamin. No applause at all. Nothing. Nobody's fired up about this. Suffering is a spiritual vitamin. Uh, here's what I know, that there are, um, there are things that, you know, you have a routine in the morning, I have a routine in the morning. Part of my morning routine um, during the, like, teeth brushing phase of all of that, I crack open my little bottle of multivitamins and stick that in because my uh, southeast Houston suburban diet doesn't necessarily contain everything that it's supposed to contain, yeah? I mean, it has plenty of tacos, but I'm not sure it's got enough magnesium. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So I take the vitamin that like to cover all the rest. Um, th this is that. Um, vitamins, like if that's the only thing that I took, it would not be enough for me. It wouldn't. 
Uh, and um, furthermore, uh, too much of that, if I just take vitamins all the time, too much of that and it just gets wasted. So um, here's what I know, that God uses suffering as a spiritual vitamin. There are things that God will do and teach us and help us with, shape us in ways that only, only happen in the school of suffering. But he's not going to leave us there for longer than we need to. He's no sadist. Uh, But he's going to leave us there exactly long enough so that we learn the things that we need um, to learn. So suffering um, is a spiritual vitamin. Uh, I want to start, and I don't think this is in the Bible app, but if you have have a a book in front of you, I want to start in uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Really, we're going to look at verses 3 to 5, but 5 verse 1 is where I want to start. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The reason I want to start there is just to say that the place where we move from is peace with God. God has made this right. And the the reason why um, I think it's important to to note this is because the world kind of looks at it and goes, Oh, you said you have peace with God, but your life... Is, is full of suffering too, just like mine and everybody else's around here. So what good is your peace with God doing? Your peace is contrived. The, the joy that you feel is evaporative. I mean, it just goes away. The, this grace that you say is so important is wispy and is, it blows away. So, so Paul then goes on the offensive here as he is uh, prone to do. And in doing so, what he's saying and what he's pointing us toward is an incredible thing called hope. And we'll talk about that at the end of the sermon. But uh, look at verse 3. More than that, so more than rejoicing in the glory of God, in hope of the glory of God, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame or disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given um, to us. So five words today, um, and let's get the bad one out of the way first. Suffering. Let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Suffering. The, the word that Paul uses here in particular, this is really Bible trivia stuff. It's not going to come up in conversation. Although if it does this week, please call me and let me know. The, the word that the Bible uses here is thlipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. And the reason that's important is because the verb that it's from means to press. You uh, would uh, press uh, um, grapes to make a juice and wine. You would press other things. So what we have here is get this, this external um, pressure is what we have. This is what we're talking about. These aren't temptations that arise from the inside. This is external stuff, as Paul is talking about it here. Suffering is, is this pressure, if you will, external. And for us, it can be relational. Um, it can be financial. It can be job stuff. It can be whatever. But the, the reality is, is that you and I live in a broken world. We can say amen to that. And we live among, in, a, in a broken world among people who are selfish and self-protective. Yeah, nobody amen that one, I see. That's okay. Um, and we live in a broken world with selfish and self-protected people, um, and we operate in a flawed, um, e- even at times destructive system, and, and we have a spiritual enemy who is after us, who targets us. So broken world, broken people, broken systems, and an enemy who hates us and is after us. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about getting pressed from the outside, no matter what it looks like for you in particular, this is this is the idea. 
I ran across this quote years ago, and it, it shows up every so often in my study. And I just couldn't, I, I wanted to make sure that you saw it this week because I, I wanted it to encourage you. Here we go. This is from William Barclay. He wrote a book uh, on the, uh, Luke. The, uh, he wrote a commentary on Luke. Here's what he said. Jesus promises his disciples three things. First of all, that they would be completely fearless. Anybody down for that right there? Like we, the people of God, because we follow Jesus, um, it's not that we can't feel pain, not that we can't uh, experience fear, but for the most part, we just walk through this thing like Jesus has got this. He rose from the dead. He's all right. I'm okay then, right? I mean, we walk through this life completely fearless. Secondly, that they would be completely fierce and absurdly happy. Anybody down for that? We, the people of God, are so marked by joy because Jesus has um, not only died for our sins and dealt with the thing that was broken in us, but he rose again and promised to make everything new. And so we are absurdly happy even in the midst of all the craziness and chaos that is our world. So uh, completely fearless. Yes, everybody down. Yes, just nod your head. Uh, Absurdly happy. We excited about this? Absolutely. Thirdly, and constantly in trouble. Couple of you, couple of you, couple of you are constantly trouble causers. I like that about you. That's why you're my people. So uh, he promised those disciples three things completely fearless, absurdly happy, constantly in trouble. A little bit more of an ancient voice, Paul. The same Paul who wrote the book of Romans. In his last letter, I mean 15 or so verses before he closes his final comments to his protege in the last letter that he ever wrote that we have preserved. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it said this. Everybody, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. They will experience that kind of pressure, that kind of um, external pressing. And it's just going to be the reality of our lives. Um, We prayed through 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 19 um, earlier. Just a few verses before that in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which is among you. Don't. Like the testimony of the scripture from like Genesis chapter 3, which was where things go sideways, uh, to Genesis chapter, excuse me, to Revelation about 19, where Jesus comes and sets things right. So except for pages 1 and 2, and except for the very last two or three pages, the testimony of the scripture is this world is going to be fairly jacked up. Our experience in this world is going to be uh, marked by suffering and brokenness at times. It's not that there won't be moments of incredible joy and peace and and goodness and generosity. We'll see that, but we will have it mixed in with this. This is just the reality. Suffering. So don't be surprised. Verse 3 again. More than that, we, the, the first word is suffering. Second word, joy. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. The word he uses there is something like boast about, like he's excited um, that, that God is doing stuff here. So joy. Why, why joy? Because it's the opposite of what suffering can be met with. Suffering can uh, be met with um, three things. Number one, it can be met with doubt in God. It can, uh, it, I like, God, are, are you there? Are you at all? I mean, Is there a God any longer? When suffering, when things press me from the outside, that's one of the places that I can go. Or doubting God's goodness. God, what is your inclination towards me? How is your heart turned towards me? It looks like things have gone sideways. Obviously, you are mad at me. This is my life now. Good. The God of the universe is ticked off. Awesome. Doubting God or his goodness or 
uh, his promises. God, you said that this was going to be true, but it sure looks like this is not going to be true. You said you were going to bring me to deliverance, but instead I'm standing here beside the Red Sea with the Egyptians about to beat me down. And I'm just not sure I can believe you in this moment. You said that all your promises were yes and amen, but I'm not so sure this is actually the reality of the world in which I live. Maybe my life or maybe um, the brokenness of my life or maybe the brokenness of my experience in life with you is just too much and your promises don't actually apply to me. You could doubt God. Another way people can respond to this is... um, is bitterness, bitterness, and and toward others. And certainly this could be bitterness toward those who are causing um, the, the, the trouble, the suffering, those who are working against you in some way. Certainly that would be a fairly normal uh, response. But also, and I think in, um, in, the, in the cultures where comfort is a pretty high, we put a, a premium on the value of comfort, like our culture, um, we not only get bitter at those who are causing us the trouble, we also get bitter at those who are not having trouble. That's nervous laughter is what that is. That's like, oh, yeah. We're not only bitter at those who are causing us the problems, we're, we're bitter at those who aren't having problems like we are. Well, they just say, I tell you what, bitterness. And lastly, um, it can end in a kind of resignation or despair. Where you just mail it in, you throw the white flag, I'm done, you, I quit, I'm out. Thanks so much, everybody, for coming, but I'm done. And so you go through this massive step back, pull back, withdrawal that says, I don't want to feel anything, do anything. And you find yourself with um, one more glass of whatever you drink in your hand or... um, uh, uh, w- one more episode that will hopefully numb the pain in this binge watching that I'm doing or whatever. I'm just resigned, full of despair. But that the people of Jesus who follow him and the people who are working, who, on whom God is working through this process are not, um, are, are not th- those are not the responses. The, the response of the people of Jesus is very, very different. It is joy. Why would you be joyful in the midst of your suffering? Well, let me just pause here and say, it's not because you are suffering. Oh, God, thank you so much, you know, that, uh, you know, I stumped, stumped my toe. That's just a blessing today. Thank you, God. That's, that's disingenuous. That's ridiculous, all that kind of stuff. This is not that. You don't rejoice because of your suffering. You rejoice because God is with you in the suffering and you know that he's using the suffering to do something. That's where the joy comes from. These four things here, I just, I want, these are circumstantial, meaning you can rejoice no matter what. You can rejoice. When Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings, why, would we, why in the world would we be people who do that, who are absurdly happy even in the midst of this calamity and chaos that's going on? Number one, God is with us. He has not departed from you. Your stuff may be genuinely chaotic. It may be grievous. It may be any number of things, but God is still with you. Today, God is with you. Tomorrow, God is with you. Yesterday, he was with you. And today and tomorrow, he is with you. He is. And you can rejoice. It doesn't matter where you find yourself, the circumstances in which you find yourself 
The highest of heights and the lowest of lows, the brightest of days and the darkest of nights, in that particular moment, the thing that you can say out loud that is absolutely true is that God is with you. Secondly, that God is for you in the midst of this. He's so for you that he may be letting you go through that so that he can shape you into the man or woman he wants you to be into the husband or wife he wants you to be, into the mom or dad or grandparents uh, that he wants you to be. He may be using these very things to make you who you can say out loud to yourself and to others, man, I don't know what's going on. Oh, this feels very heavy. I don't like walking around with this stuff. This is a really hard time, but I know this, that God's with me and he is for me. His heart has not shifted um, at all towards me. Like he, he hasn't changed a lick. I mean, this is just the reality. God is with me. And today I believe that God is for me. And thirdly, you can say that your trials are temporary. You can say that and it be true. And again, I'm not trying to downplay the pain or the suffering or the frustration or the grief that goes along with this because your trial may last a decade. The suffering may be yours for a, in our particular world, a significant period of time. But 10 years versus 10,000 years that we sang about just a few minutes ago, you can say your trials are temporary. And a hundred years from just this moment right here, a hundred years from now, whatever you're walking through will be over. And you will be with him in glory. Your trials are temporary. And the last thing to say out loud, the very worst that could happen to you is still a win. The writer Paul says this in Philippians, to live, if I'm breathing today, it's Christ. And if I die, it's gain. Even the worst thing that could happen to me, I physically quit living. It's still gain. You can say those things. And I, I just want to point to the fact, like, and maybe help bring this to some practical stuff. Um, Paul, the guy who wrote this right here, um, knew something about suffering. Uh, he and Silas found themselves in some trouble, a little mischief uh, in, in a city called Philippi. Um, uh, a, uh, uh, they had started a church there and people didn't like it. And so uh, they got beat up like bad by a mob and uh, were kind of beaten within an inch of their life. And then the jailer took them and threw them into the bottom. It specifically says the bottom of the prison in Acts chapter 16, the bottom of the prison. You know the saying about how stuff, the bad stuff runs downhill? They were in the bottom of the prison, okay? Everything was running downhill towards them. And the, the, the craziest thing happened about midnight. Paul and Silas, they were singing. I, just for those of you who are in suffering, for those of you who are walking through hardship, do you have a song that's in your mouth right now? Do you have a place when it gets really dark and you're in the bottom of the prison and you're barely breathing and all the stuff's gone? Do you have a song that comes out of you? I don't know. And do you have somebody to sing with? Like, I don't know. Paul and Silas are sitting there. I don't know who started. Hey, hey. Hey, Paul, Paul, you know what we got to do? We got to sing. What are you talking about? Like, what are we? I, I don't know who started it. I don't know what the conversation was like. I don't know what they sang. I don't know if they're Chris Tomlin fans or if they, you know, something else. They, how great is our God? And I, you know, I don't know how that went down in the bottom of the jail. But I know that they started singing and other people were listening. And all of a sudden, the jail, the physical space couldn't contain the spiritual reality of them singing in the darkness. And so the 
jail flung open. And I, I don't know what your situation, individual situation may be. I do know this. Paul knew something about rejoicing in the midst of his suffering and how, in particular, a song can be really helpful. This is C.S. Lewis from his book, The Problem of Pain. Here's what, here's what Lewis said. We can ignore pleasure. That's a funny comment, but you think about it. It's true. But pain, pain insists on being attended to. Everybody? Yeah, we can all agree with that. <clears throat> God whispers in our pleasure and speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. Pain, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Whether it's those out there and you living through suffering rouses their spiritual senses or whether it's your own life because you've become deaf. You have blocked your ears to what God wants to say and do. Either way, the prisoners were listening to Paul and Silas. There are people who are listening to you or maybe you need to listen to yourself as this goes. Joy in the midst of suffering. Three more words. Verse three, more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces, here's our word, endurance. Endurance. Um, endurance is this kind of spiritual grit. Uh, it, this, it, but it's not ethereal. It shows itself in very much real life. It is your willingness to forgive um, the person who deeply hurt you or your willingness to engage with someone who looks different, thinks different, acts different, whatever is different than you. It's spiritual grit, your willingness to take one more step, your willingness to, to get up and, and say that God is in control even though it feels like your world is complete chaos. It is spiritual grit and it shows itself in very much real life situations. Th this is the endurance that that uh, Paul is talking about. This is the endurance that Jesus is building by his spirit into his people. As they rejoice in suffering, endurance is one of the things that come out of this. I compare, not compare, I contrast spiritual grit um, with, I, I don't have a better picture for this, than spiritual Tarzans, anybody? And not just the chest beating thing. I mean, like, how, what was his mode of transport through life? He swung on the vines, right? Like he'd get over here, he'd grab one vine, and he'd swing for a while. And then once that momentum ran out, what happened? You either fall off the vine or you catch the next one. And you have to go and go and go. Some, some of us live our lives like spiritual tar Tarzans, kind of swinging from one high, one spiritual high to the next, one mountaintop to the next, always looking, uh, always needing some version of stimulation and looking for a new event or a new voice to bring something. That is not what we're talking about here. That, that actually disconnects you from very much real life. Um, it, it, it cannot... Uh, the, the person who swings like this, who just lives from moment to moment, from event to event, from, from high to high, from voice to voice, cannot be counted on for any significant amount of time. You can't depend on them. Spiritual Tarzans uh, look for benefit to themselves before they look for the benefit of others, the exact opposite of serving. And spiritual Tarzans who live on this momentum, um, when times get hard, they question God. They question his goodness. Um, they question themselves and they question their own stories and they question the church, the people of God who are with them and oftentimes withdraw from that. This is the reality of that kind of life versus the spiritual endurance that says, no, nah, I mean, there, there are moments when it's fun to swing. I mean, don't like that swinging on the vine thing and catching the momentum and this is great. But walking, walking with God is really what we're 
after here. This is what he is talking about. And Jesus himself knew that this was serious business. In Luke chapter 21, uh, verse 19, he says, it is by your endurance, by your endurance, that eternal life is, is yours. He, this, is the, this is spiritual grit. Endurance, um, more than uh, that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Or some of your translations may have proven character. Um, this is the kind of infrastructure uh, of the soul. It is most of the, like the like the water stuff under your street and the electric lines that are run and all this, like this is that kind of thing. Most of the time, you don't think about it at all, right? You don't drive down your street and think, man, cool drainage. Like you don't think that. Oh, listen, I'm so glad that the uh, telecommunications company came and dropped that box right there in my front yard. Now I have to edge around it instead of just mowing over it. That was a little personal thing. Sorry about that. I had a moment there. You don't think about that stuff. The only time that you really think about that stuff, the infrastructure, is when it has an extraordinary success or a catastrophic failure. Extraordinary success. Rain falls everywhere. The drainage works. Thank you, God, for drainage pipes. Yes and amen. Catastrophic failure. The lights have been out now for three and a half days. Thank you, ERCOT, or whatever. You know, you go through this. So this is the kind of thing that we're thinking about. The infrastructure of the soul. But, but it's not just what is there. It is a matter of, of this commodity being tested and then proven genuine. Like this stuff works. Jesus points to this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, in, in Matthew chapter 7, when he says, listen, uh, if, you, if you're the kind of person who hears my word and obeys, you're like the person who builds a house um, on the rock and the winds came and the, the, the rain blew and the storm and the floods rose and all this kind of, but your, your life works. This is the thing. This is what we're talking about. The, the character of a life that works, a commodity that's been tested and is proven genuine. But when you're building a house, there are moments when, uh, especially, well, HGTV people, you got uh, your favorite renovation show, whatever it may be. There are moments when stuff has to come out of the house. And there are moments when you get to build some stuff back in. This is, the, this is our life. Jesus has taken on us a broken down shack, if you will. With value, yes, because he loves us so dearly. But we got some parts that need renovation. Parts that need to be taken out and then parts that need other things built back in. This is the process that he goes through, a tested commodity commodity that is proven genuine. And the ultimate outcome for us is that we are transformed to know and to understand and then to do God's will. We know and understand and do God's will. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where we started this whole series. We're transformed by the renewing our minds so that we can approve that which is the will of God. So we step into that. And so our, we, we, our character then allows us to do what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And then secondly, it allows us to know what should be done when we're not so sure. We're transformed to know and to understand and to do the will of God. Okay, so last word. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance, character, or proven character. And proven character produces 
hope. There's our last word. And hope does not put us to shame. Some of you may have disappoint us. So what we're talking about here, this is not wishing. Oh, well, I wish this was going on. I wish. This is not that. This is hope. This is founded. Like we have reason to put our hope here. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope is not wishing. Hope instead has its foundation somewhere. Here's one of the places that it has its foundation. God is working. I have hope today, even in the midst of suffering. I am rejoicing in the midst of hardship and all of these external things and the weight that I have to carry. I am rejoicing. Why? Because God is working. And you think to yourself, I don't know. I don't know if God's working. This just seems like it's not all that important or not all that effective or not all that whatever. Just take a moment and look over your shoulder and see where you've come. See how God has shaped you through the processes that he has allowed you to go through. One more time, he's not going to let you stay there forever. I mean, he's just not. And he won't leave you there longer than you need to be, but he will leave you there as long as you need to be in order to gain what he wants to give you. So when you look over your shoulder and you see, oh, actually, I have come a ways. And if you can't, if you can't see that, if you, if you can't understand the story that God has been telling, listen, you have somebody in your life who can look back for you and say, no, 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 no. I mean, look where God has taken you. Sometimes because the darkness is so dark or the, the weight is so heavy or the suffering is so painful, we, 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 the, the story that we tell ourselves, the, the um, movie, if you will, that gets um, put on the screen of our mind is such that, oh, God's obviously not working in me. I don't know what he's doing, but he's not doing anything in me. And we have to have somebody step into our world and tell us, hey, no, 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 this is why we see, or excuse me, this is how we see God working. This is how far you've come. This is why God may be allowing you to walk through this because he's doing these kinds of things in you. Oh, I can't see that. Listen, there are people around you who can see it. It's one of the reasons why like our circles here, small groups, Sunday schools, Bible studies, that is so critical because we have people who see these things in our life. Relationships are critical in following Jesus. God is working. I, I had, this has been several years ago now, maybe four or five years ago, I was eating um, lunch with a friend of mine, um, pastors a church on the other side of the city. And he was telling me this story about this guy. He, he um, had just had lunch with that weekend. The guy had lost like 60 pounds. He's like, dude, how'd you do that? He said, well, I'm not a runner. Can we just, if you are a runner in here, good for you. But all you not runners in here, can we just have a moment where we're just so glad that we are not runners? So just go, yes. And amen. For, I know there are people in here who like to run. Fantastic. Great. He said, I'm not a runner. He's like, well, okay, that's a weird thing. He said, but what I did was I put a piece of chalk in my pocket. And I ran as far as I could and then marked it on the curb. I mean, I am not a runner. Like, I could run to the door right now and hit about 140 beats a second. Like, this, this guy, as far as he could go, marked it with chalk. And you know what I did the next morning? I got up, put my shoes on, and tried to go past that, and I would mark it. And go past that one the next day and mark it. And go past that the next day. And some days, some days, I didn't make it to my mark. I just couldn't do it. Like my body wouldn't tolerate it. But I just figured out that 
If I had a mark, I, I, I'd just go a little bit further, go a little bit farther, go a little bit farther, go a little bit farther. And all of a sudden, I'm down 60 pounds. When we talk about how God is shaping us, the endurance of this guy is what shaped his character. I mean, his physical stature changed because of his endurance. Your spiritual stature, character, changes, gets shaped by this endurance. God is at work. And if you can't see it, let somebody who's close enough and who loves you enough to tell you the truth speak into your life because they can see it. Or you can hope because God is working. Secondly, because God is with you now. You can... Have hope today because God's with you now. At the end of verse 5, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. What does that mean? That the Spirit of God lives inside of everybody who has put their trust in Jesus. He has come and taken up residence in you. He has taken ownership of your life. He has kicked open the doors and moved his furniture in, and he is at work to make it his home. That's who lives inside of you. He is with you right now. And again, one of the great lies of external pressure, uh, one of the great lies that gets told when external pressure comes is that God has obviously forsaken me. Wrong. He's with you right now. And in fact, it's because he is with you that you can have, uh, excuse me, that you can have hope. Uh, thirdly, because God will never, he's not only with you now, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. A little bit later in the book of Romans in chapter eight, Paul closes out that incredible chapter in chapter eight by saying, hey, look, there's not height and there's not depth. There is not uh, good and there's not bad. There's not things present nor things to come. There's not angels or demons. Listen, there's not life and there's not death that can separate you from God. He is never going to forsake you, ever. So today, as you walk through whatever it is that you're walking through, as you're facing the challenges of whatever it is that you're facing, know this, God not only is with you today, but he will never forsake you. And lastly, he has love for you that is unconditional. The the next few verses in Romans chapter 5 say this. Verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Who is that? That's you and me. And then skip down a verse, verse 8. But God shows, right now, in this present tense, God shows, demonstrates his love for us. And in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't have to clean myself up so that Jesus would die for me. I wasn't even around when that went down. I I didn't have to make myself better so that Jesus would die for me. Even while I was still a sinner, unconditionally, Jesus died for me. And that's, that's where I want to leave you today, that God has an unconditional love for you and for me. And that's the reason for hope. Even in the midst of your suffering, your suffering will produce endurance and endurance will produce proven character and proven character will show that, hey, look, God's been at work and I can continue to believe that he's not only going to be with me, but he's going to see me all the way through because of his great love for me. The word that Paul uses there, because the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts. Some people think, oh, I know who I am. I got a little trickle of God's love. Like God just barely turned on the spigot and it's like trip, trip. That's the love that God has for me. No, no. The word that he used there is poured out. He has opened up Niagara and it is flowing on top of you. 
And if you're standing under Niagara, I guarantee you, you will be cleansed and you will be shaped. And this is what God intends to do with you. If you're here, you're watching online, and you've never given your life to Christ, I want you to know today can be the day that you can receive this incredible love that God has for you. And if you are a follower of Jesus in here, you can have hope today because his love is a Niagara-sized love for you, and he will see you through whatever it is that you're facing. I'd like to offer a prayer for us, and then we'll have a song of response. Let's pray. God, thank you that um, we today are shaped by a love that was shown on a cross. And thank you today that uh, it's not in question. It is sure and it is steady. Certainly overwhelming at times, but sure and steady. I I pray, Father, that... um, for every single person in here who's walking through hardship, for every person watching online, that suffering is their word right now, I pray, God, that you would use it to produce endurance in them. Endurance would produce character, and character would become hope. And I pray, Father, too, that um, the things that are out in front of us this week would keep us consistently pointed toward you. Nothing less than that. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you are for us and your disposition toward us hasn't changed. Thank you that we have a love because of who you are, not because of who we are, that is unconditional. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.